Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This session is brought to you by Lumit.com. Check them out for financing for multifamily, for senior housing, and healthcare properties. They have offices all around the country. They are great people. They will take care of you. If you want to check out their website, it's Lumit.com. Well, we have an interesting show for you today. One of the things that people have been thinking about last year, and I think this year, is where's capital flowing? Where, where's, where did money go last year? How did it change from years before? Uh, what, what property types? Where's it going? Uh, and what do we expect moving forward in 2024 and beyond? Please welcome my guest. It's Chad Littell, and he is National Director of U.S. Capital Market Analytics with the CoStar Group. Chad, thank you for being with us, sir. Cool. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on. Well, thank you. And I can tell you a lot of my, uh, all my listeners probably are realizing that 2023 uh, year was down for transaction volume. There wasn't as much uh, capital flow as, as we've been used to uh, even just the year before. What, what did you actually see as you, as you wrapped up 2023? You know, so 2023, uh, historically, if you go back over the long-term trend, you know, in nominal levels, wasn't down sharply over this like broader term. But when you compare it to the enormous transaction volume we saw in, in 2021 and 2022, it was down sharply. So to, to compare, we peaked out at just under a trillion dollars of transaction volume in 2021. And we stepped down in 22, and then this, just this last year, we did about 450 billion in transactions across the five major uh, property types. And so, what's interesting about that is, as the over the course of the year, what we typically see is the the first quarter start a kind of a base of transactions, and then typically each quarter builds on that, and we see higher transaction volumes throughout the year, and we see it crescendo into a, a kind of a really big pop in the fourth quarter. And so one of the things that I watch for is whether we're seeing some strength or weakness in the market through each of these quarters. And so like a like a cookie cutter, you can see that pattern play out where, where transaction volume grows through the back half of the year from 2010 all the way to 2021. And so in 2022, that fell all throughout the year. And then in 2023, which I think is an encouraging sign, is it just kind of move laterally sideways throughout the year. So we stopped that falling pattern, but I would say we didn't see that customary pop at the end of the year. And so as you dive into the different property types, historically we've seen multifamily as the largest of the asset classes dominate the transaction volume. And that actually pulled back the most. And so uh, industrial actually rivaled multifamily this year and I think eked it out in terms of total volume with about 115 billion and so multifamily will be right in that space um, so to give you kind of um, comparisons over the prior year if you think about um, industrial that was off by about 43 percent compared to 2022 multifamily is coming in around 112 billion that's about 60 percent down from 2022 and then retail has been kind of a, a bright spot in the market in 2023. Also did about 110 billion, down about 37% year over year. Office, as no surprise, that was typically, usually always the second in, in terms of ranking behind multifamily. It's fallen sharply, did about 75 billion 
and uh, was about, let me confirm, 50% uh, off year over year. And then kind of the last of the five major food groups was hospitality, 35 billion, also down about 55% year over year. So some of those nuances, not just in terms of total volume, but reading through, um, I would say it's encouraging that we didn't continue to fall like in 2022, but also it should be noted, you know, we aren't seeing that year end strength like we have over the last, you know, 12 years. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. So multifamily traditionally then has had the, the biggest volume of sales, but uh, that really changed. Huh? Absolutely. It pulled back uh, substantially. So, you know, if you think about in uh, 2022, I mean, it did about uh, 350 billion. And, and now just last year, you're looking at 112, 115 billion in kind of round numbers. So a pretty substantial pullback. Um, the numbers that we saw in 21 and 22 were like nothing we've ever seen before. And so I think what might be uh, maybe a more instructive way to think about the market is, is almost just remove those two years and realize those were anomalies and think about them instead about what was kind of the typical run rate, you know, pre COVID, if you take a five-year average. And so if you do that, the values aren't quite as drastic. And so to run through some of those with you, Michael, multifamily is down about 44% compared to the pre COVID average industrial is only down about 3%, right? So despite this big drop off since the peak, it's still, churning at the same rate we saw pre-COVID. Retail is also a bright spot, as I mentioned early, down about 15% compared to pre-COVID. Office down 50 and hospitality down about 25%. Yeah, that's a very good point, Chad. I think uh, a lot of us were just spoiled, right? Uh, in 2021, <laughs> for, for example, right? Well, and I Absolutely. guess, and I guess we're not going to be spoiled in, in 2024, are we? What do you expect moving forward? So 2024 is, I think, has a very interesting setup. And so if, if you go back and you, if you think about, you know, the, just how cycles generally play out, um, and if you just use the most recent one, um, that could be a, an outlier, but it's, it's the most recent one. We have a lot of great data on it. But during the Great Recession, we had about a four-year period where we saw property values decline. And so over the first two years of that period, we saw transaction counts, you know, basically get shut off. Barely anything was trading. We saw property values come down. And then in the next two years, from 2009 to 2011, we saw transaction volumes really spike. Uh, they grew, depending on the property type, anywhere from 50 to 80% based off of, you know, the lows. But what that increased transaction volume did is it reinforced the downward pressure on values. And so for those following two years, although property values fell less, they continued to fall. And so if we just think about where we stand today, we're two years into falling property values, uh, just broadly speaking, uh, as the Fed started hiking interest rates in the first quarter of 2022. And so I think this year, I would expect that we would see transaction volumes start to pick up in the back half of this year. But I do think that we'll see either just sideways movement or continued, you know, declines in asset values. And, and those will be kind of uneven on how they perform depending on the property type. Yeah. So it, that seems like a, a, a consensus that I'm hearing from other folks as well, right? That, in, that we'll see transaction volume kind of pick up in 2024, but it might be in the later um, third and fourth quarter, potentially. It's interesting as a broker, 
on the front line, if you will, uh, being a broker, uh, when the, the, uh, calendar clicked over to 2024 it was amazing we do a lot of the small balance stuff you know between a million and and 20 million and we're seeing that the the interest from buyers and sellers really picking up and we're still seeing obviously uh, lenders cautious and as as part of the expectations that transaction volume picks up in later the year is that based on potential interest rate reductions or something else I think it's it's based on a number of factors, and so interest rates uh, are it's definitely a moving target. If you just go back, you know, 60 days ago, uh, the Fed funds futures were pricing in a, a close to a 90% probability of a of a, a rate cut in March. That's now down to about 15%. Uh, so we may not see rate cuts until the middle of the year, and if they come in and cut 25 basis points, I, I'm not sure that's actually enough to really goose. Um, asset pricing other than more of a um, investor perception that not only are we done hiking, but we're going to start a downward path. But in terms of how investors are underwriting, I'm not sure a couple of small cuts really make the difference. I think one of the things we're going to see is that a lot of maturities that were due to take place in 2022 and 2023, particularly last year, were extended into 2024. And so we're seeing these maturities really kind of actually start stacking up in the third and fourth quarter. And it's not an insignificant amount. And so I think that's also going to stimulate a lot of these loans come with uh, the ability to extend multiple times. So it's not uncommon to see one year extensions and, and to be able to do that, you know, two to three times. And so we could continue to see that get pushed out in the future. But I do think these maturities are going to help stimulate transaction activity. And I would say that my focus has really moved away from watching, you know, where our interest rates going to be. I think they're largely range bound this year, or at least for the you know next quarter or two. And it's really a shift over towards what, what is going on with, with NOI. And today where we stand, the amount of economic data that's being released on a, on a weekly basis is telling wildly different stories. And so I think it's a little disorientating uh, to, to, to know where you stand and to know how to underwrite cash flows uh, going forward. But I, I think it's, it's really looking at um, the notion that historically during interest rate hiking periods, we are, are customary, you know, it's customary to see property values continue to increase. Right. And that's because GDP is, is rocking. There's strong rent growth, there's absorption and cap rates actually compress you know, as, as the economy heats up, right. And interest rates are rising. And so, um, it's not until you see NOIs turn negative vacancy rates spike year over year, asking rents turn negative. That's usually what starts to move cap rates. And so what's unique about this cycle is that we've seen, you know, double digit value declines. And in some cases is, you know, over 30% for the case of office, for example, in the face of you know huge gdp prints right the payroll revisions uh that just came out for january so at full employment with a strong economy at our backs we've already seen these value declines and so if we start to see weakness in the labor market and we see vacancy start to rise i would anticipate there to be further expansion of cap rates uh, deterioration of noi and that's going to pressure asset values further over the next couple of years
possibly some of these distressed assets kind of being pushed out into the market and and that should uh, adjust cap rates up on, on those distressed deals that that are cap rate deals right what do you expect for uh consumer spending uh moving forward and if that's impact on uh, the real estate capital markets so I think consumer spending is is hugely important, and that is a, a great point, Michael, that you bring up. And I think that's an area where we we're getting um, differing information. Because on one hand, you know, if you follow Johnson Red Books, which is basically you know you get that information weekly, it's like same store year over year sales, and that's showing very strong numbers. Um, consumer spending, you know, inflation for uh, it adjusted for inflation last year was was um i don't know if i would say strong but it was it was stronger than i think many expected but on the other side of that what you are seeing is that auto loan delinquencies are skyrocketing right for example they're at levels today where um i just actually uh, was looking at this a little bit earlier earlier today if i can look at this yeah so i've got this uh, kind of chart in front of me so if you just break out kind of the cohorts of age brackets of kind of 18 to 29, 30 to 40, 40 to 50, auto loan delinquencies are higher than they were during the kind of heat of COVID. And they're basically right in line with where we were in 2008 at the start of that downturn. And then when you look at, you know, credit cards uh, as well as you got to think that credit card loan, credit card balances are continuing to grow. Um, and they're dealing with 22, 23% interest rates. And as you think about, you know, serious delinquency, 90 day plus, those are up 100 to 125% for those three cohorts that I mentioned earlier, compared to their lows just a couple of years ago. So those, those are mooning higher, right? And you're seeing a lot of the buy now, pay later, um, you know, concept that's keeping retailers going. And so that is in contrast to some of the, um, you know, uh, economic data that you see released by the government. And this is what's kind of that disorienting aspect that I was mentioning in terms of underwriting cash flows going forward. The consumer is two thirds of GDP. And we can see that when GDP is strong and growing, that's usually when we see good absorption, good rent growth, et cetera. And so as I would contrast those two today, we're actually seeing slowing NOI in office and multifamily. We have essentially zero rent growth in some markets we're seeing negative rent growth and so again i contrast that against you know a strong economy at our backs we're already seeing rent growth slow noi slow and so if the consumer doesn't hold up i think that's going to be a major headwind and is going to lead to higher vacancies and uh, it's going to pressure commercial real estate values yeah what do you expect for delinquencies moving forward into uh, 2024 so that's a great question, Michael. Um, delinquencies are largely moving sideways across all property types. If, and so we track pretty closely the CMBS delinquencies. The one exception that I would give you is, is office, which is no surprise. Then to give you the context of how far it's moved, it's sitting at 7.2% today. And so if we go back to December of 2022, that was at 1.4%. So that's just shooting higher. And if we if we take it all the way back to give some context into the GFC, that rate peaked at 10.5%, I believe, in the summer, August of 2012. And so what I want to 
uh, communicate is that these this process of delinquencies doesn't happen as soon as people think. And so if, if, if you picture kind of going through the GFC, at the beginning of the recession, which is December of 2007, delinquency rates were across property types 40, 50 basis points. By the end of 2008, a year into the recession, they were about 1%. By the end of 2009, which was the end of the NBER recession, they were about 2%. And then they continued to spike higher for three years after that. And then, as I mentioned, office peaking in the summer of 2012. And so where we stand today is, with the exception of office, uh, retail and hospitality are kind of moving sideways at about 5 to 6%, and then industrial sitting at about 1%, just kind of moving sideways. And so I think we'll, other than office, we'll continue to see uh, lower levels of distress, lower levels of delinquency, but uh, I anticipate those to continue to play out in 25, 26, potentially 27. Um, and that would be even true of going back and looking at the 01 downturn. Although nominal levels didn't hit the same as they did in the GFC, it was post-recession, a multi-year process to get those delinquency rates back down. Yeah, that's interesting. I, uh, it makes sense. It takes lenders kind of some time and borrowers right, to get through those delinquencies and work through those workouts and, and foreclosures. We did a, a lot of transaction work for banks and distressed borrowers, and, and we saw the same thing in the Great Financial Recession that it is like, oh, well, we don't have any problems. Well, yeah, you do. <laughs> We're just not admitting it yet. And, and then you finally start you know, working through them so that so that could uh, take a while. Well, what would, what would you leave our audience with, Chad, to think about, about capital flows uh, moving forward? I would steer the audience to, to consider uh, the source of future income. And so we're coming off a couple of years where we saw cap rates well below, you know, the, the cost to borrow money. So it's referred to as negative leverage. And so, you know, we were seeing in many cases, I'll use multifamily for an example, where cap rates were, you know, somewhere between three and a quarter, three and a half for a lot of assets. And those have moved up, right, and are going to be in five to five and a half range you know, today. And I think what has caused some of that is the recognition that this double digit rent growth isn't there anymore. And now for multifamily, for example, you're sitting at less than 1% rent growth year over year as of the fourth quarter of, of 2023. And so I think removing expectations of future income growth, and I think focusing on current yield and what is tangible today. And so I think there's opportunities in certain asset classes where you have, um, you know, 2018 to 2020 vintage lease deals that are in place where you truly have opportunity to roll those up to, to, mar to market and you can afford to go in with an aggressive cap rate. But I think for most property types, I think there should be a shift away from future growth and basically focus on buying current yield and protecting NOI going forward. Okay. So when I'm brokering multifamily, I can't put it in 10% annual rent increases anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know if the market's going to buy off on that one. No, um, I don't think so either. And uh, so, uh, well, great information, Chad. Thank you for joining us, sir. We appreciate you being on the show. 
Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. Thank you for joining us around the country. Hey, please share the show. Let's get it out there and uh, pay it forward, if you will. Please connect with us on your favorite uh, social media and, and let us know what you think. Reach out to me if you have any ideas or questions uh, for the show or for me. My email is an easy one. It's michael at bullrealty.com. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For commercial brokerage sales and leasing in the Southeast U.S., contact our show host by email at michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success Strategies, 21 incredible one-hour agent training videos. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. And by Lumen. For senior housing, health care, and multifamily financing, visit lumet.com. For more podcasts and videos, subscribe and visit CREshow.com.